Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the IFS Zooms In. I'm Paul Johnson, Director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies, and today we're going to be talking about council tax. And to do that, I'm joined by my colleague, David Phillips, who's an Associate Director here at the IFS, who leads our work on local government finance, and also by John Stevenson, who's the Conservative MP for Carlisle, and who's written quite a lot about council tax himself and about reform to council tax and why he thinks that might be a good idea and indeed why it might be related to the government priorities around levelling up. You probably know a little bit about council tax. It's a property tax, as you know, all of us, those of us over the age of 18 who are living in a property need to pay it. It's paid by the occupant, it's paid to the council, and it's paid for local services like social care and waste collection, libraries and parks. And it raises a fair bit of money, maybe up to £40 billion this year against Great Britain as a whole. And in terms of taxes, that makes it the fifth biggest, just behind corporation tax, a long way behind income tax, national insurance and VAT, but it's the fifth biggest tax that we have. It's related, in principle, to the value of the property that people live in. But as we'll discover, it's got lots of problems. It's got lots of problems because it's not very closely related to those values. It's based on values from 30 years ago. And it's, as we'll find out, somewhat regressive. So why don't we start with David Phillips? And David, perhaps you could just outline for us in a little bit more detail why economists like us aren't terribly keen on council tax in the way that it's constructed at the moment. Thanks, Paul. Well, actually, you know, economists quite like property taxes in principle, Uh, Property isn't something that moves about, so it's easier to tax. It's less prone to causing economic distortions if you tax property. But as you say, uh, as council taxes currently are set up, there are quite a number of uh, uh, kind of issues with it. Uh, The first one is something you just mentioned there. Um, Council tax is based on property values, but property values in 1991. That's uh, 30 years ago. Uh, So the first issue is it's just completely out of date. Uh, Of course, property prices have gone up substantially uh, over the last 30 years. Uh, But more importantly, they've gone up by very different amounts in different parts of the country. Uh, So, for example, in the northeast of England, they've increased about three and a half times uh, compared to seven and a half times in London and more like 10 times in Hackney. And that means there's kind of, you know, two big problems there. So firstly, our whole system of council funding is still based on working out how much councils could raise based on their 1991 values. So councils in the northeast receive relatively less central government funding and have to charge higher taxes than if up-to-date values are used. Uh, Conversely, London councils receive relatively more funding and so can charge less. But even within the same local authority, the same council area, uh, two properties now worth the same can face tax bills that differ by hundreds of pounds uh, simply because they used to be worth different amounts uh, 30 years ago. So that sort of the valuation issue there is, is, is really sort of fundamental to kind of questions of, of fairness about the tax. And I think also, you know, second, when it was set up, council tax was regressive uh, by design. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, those living in the most valuable properties, at least in 1991, well, they face a bill that's three times as big 
as those living in the least valuable properties. Uh, but the difference in value is at least eight times and often many, many more times. So someone living in a multi-million pound you know, mansion only pays three times the amount that someone living in a small uh, one-bedroom flat would. And of course, you have differences in opinions about how progressive the overall tax system should be. But it seems really quite odd to me, at least, that a tax on housing wealth and consumption, like council tax, is levied at a lower rate on those that own or consume more housing. Uh, we have a progressive tax system. Uh, this is a, you know, not the biggest tax, but a pretty substantial tax. Um, it's largely there to raise revenue. It's not like, you know, for example, cigarette duty or alcohol duty, where you know, it's fundamentally trying to change behavior. It's not just about raising revenues. It seems strange that such an important part of the tax system um, is, is regressive when we, when we clearly want the system as a whole to be you know, progressive. So not only is it out of date, the sort of whole system of it is uh, slightly odd. And the last thing I'll say very, very briefly is that something that's less commented upon is the single person discount. Now, the way this is designed, a 25% uh, discount off council tax Effectively, that subsidizes households with one adult, single adults, and penalizes households uh, with more than one adult from living in larger, more expensive properties. So we have a tax system that is making it relatively cheaper for people to live in houses that are too big for them and more expensive for those that need a bigger house. So abolishing or at least reforming this discount could really improve the function of the housing market and help reduce problems of both under-occupation and overcrowding in housing. So Three things to look at with council tax, the out-of-date values, the regressive structure, and this single-person discount. Well, that's a pretty convincing um, case for reform, it seems to me. It's the only tax that's deliberately regressive. It's a bit like charging VAT on Ferraris at a lower rate to VAT on um, on Skodas, if they still um, exist. Um, and, uh, and it distorts the housing market. So, so that, that's the economists' problems with, uh, with council tax, problems that uh, I, I completely agree uh, with David. In an ideal world, we need to iron out. Now, clearly, politicians, um, at least governments, have failed to respond to those arguments for uh, the 30 years since uh, council tax was introduced. Um, for some extent, obvious reasons. If you change it, some people will win and some people will lose. And as ever, we know losers are not terribly happy. Uh, but I'll bring John Stevenson in here to give us a, a political um, viewpoint on this. And John, I think you are broadly sympathetic to the things that, that, that David has said. Um, I just wonder what your thinking is on, on council tax. And perhaps also you could reflect on why we've essentially had no change to this system in 30 years now. Well, two things I would say to start with. I mean, I thought uh, David's e explanation of the council tax was very good and summarises the key issues that there are with, with it. And what we need to do is look at how we reform it. And the second issue is politics. And I think the politics is really quite interesting. We usually have a debate about raising taxes, lowering taxes and spend uh, what we spend money on. But what about reforming tax? And if we look back, I think Nigel Lawson was the last great chancellor who I thought tried to reform tax. Since then, most of the chancellors have um, tinkered with it rather than looked at how you can actually reform it. And what we really want to see, in my view, is a tax system that is fair, that is better structured and probably far more effective. And that is why I think reforming council tax 
can be a starting point. There are other taxes which I think we could look at um, very easily that also need reforming. But council tax is one that affects us all. It affects every property in the country. And it's how we go about reforming that tax in a way that is fair, um, that still generates the income that it already does. And I think can, we can end up with a far more effective tax regime as well. And the proposals and the reforms that are being suggested go beyond just the, um, the council tax reform themselves, but it's also things like who pays for it. And I actually think if you change it to the actual owner of the property, you'll probably see a slight increase in the tax take because you do find greater problems, unfortunately, with people who rent properties and who ends up paying when they leave, etc. But when you actually have an owner of the property who's responsible, then I actually think the tax take would increase as well. So there are little, I think, beneficial side effects that you could see from a comprehensive reform of council tax. Uh, so um, I, th I think you've also written about council tax in the context of uh, the fairness between different parts and regions of, of, of England. I mean, do you, do you see potential reform there as something that would support um, support your area, your MP for Carlisle? Well, it's interesting. The politics of our country and the dynamics of the politics of our country are changing. My party's got greater representation in the north of England, where I think council tax um, reform would have a substantial benefit to many taxpayers. And I think it's quite ironic that at present you have People living in cheaper housing, generally on lower incomes, end up paying a disproportionately higher rate of tax, and that seems inherently unfair. It's how you go about reforming the tax, which I do accept is going to be challenging, but nevertheless that shouldn't take away from the fundamentals that reforming council tax can bring a greater degree of fairness. Um, and I think you would see that particularly in the north of England, there would be a potential substantial benefit to council tax payers. But then I, I would argue, well, isn't that, isn't that fair? Because they are living in cheaper housing on lower incomes, paying a higher tax. And I think you've got to challenge the fairness of that. Well, I, I, in a sense, I couldn't agree with you more uh, on that. It's one of the big challenges in tax reform. It's something we've referred to as the tyranny of the status quo. Wherever you are, uh, people seem to think that a movement away from it will be unfair because there'll be losers rather than thinking from somewhat closer to sort of first principles about what really counts as fairness. Um, David, just coming to you on some specifics of um, change, I mean, you, you really talked about um, two, two big things here. One is the fact that all of this is terribly out of date, and the other is that you know, even you know, even if it were up to date, it would still need reform. I mean, starting with the first of those, just thinking about revaluing um, council tax, you 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 you've looked at you know, how that might work and what sort of impact it might have. So, so what 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 are your conclusions about you know, what would happen if we did go through a a proper revaluation such that council tax was exactly the same as it is now, just based on current property prices. Yes. So we did a, a two-part study looking at revaluation and then revaluation and reform of council tax, what it would mean for different types of households, different parts of the country, how you could you know, ease the transition, how you actually might go about revaluation. Um, so looking at revaluation on its own, um, I think kind of the the first thing to kind of mention is that 
you know, we found that the impacts of evaluation of council tax would depend not just on the evaluation itself, but crucially on whether central government funding for councils was updated at the same time. So imagine you did an evaluation and you didn't update the funding you gave to councils. Well, in order to maintain their spending, each council would need to raise just as much as they do now from council tax. So the average bill they'd have to charge their residents would be the same as it is now. So whilst, you know, bills would go up and down within councils, depending on, uh, you know, what had happened to prices within an area, you know, different neighbourhoods, it wouldn't change the sort of distribution of bills across the country. Bills wouldn't go down in the north. They wouldn't go up in London to reflect the changes in property prices. So the first thing we kind of, you know, noted is that it really is important to see council tax reform in the broader local government finance system. Now, if you do that and you say, well, look, we do revaluation and we update the funding for local government to reflect the fact that councils in the north, you know, can, can raise somewhat less and councils in the south can, can raise somewhat more after evaluation, then you can get an you know, idea of, you know, what it could mean for, you know, levelling up and, and things like that. So looking at that, what we, what we found is that revaluation on its own wouldn't do much really to sort of address inequalities between different population groups. Um, it wouldn't, you know, reduce the burden on low-income households, increase the burden on high-income households. It wouldn't change, you know, the distribution from young to old or, or things like that. But it would have quite a big impact um, in, in certain parts of the country. So across most of, you know, the Midlands, north of England, actually large parts of the southwest and, um, you know, northern East Anglia, bills would, would come down, um, you know, modestly in those areas, you know, typically about sort of, you know, 5% or so. I think, you know, average bills down up to about 13 or 14% in parts of Lancashire. In contrast, um, bills would go up in uh, London and, you know, uh, its surroundings. Uh, the biggest increases would be in uh, Hackney, actually. Bills got about a third in Hackney. That's the area with the biggest uh, price rises in the country over the last uh, 30 years. The only areas outside of London which see increases of more than 10% would be um, uh, Brighton, Bristol, Cambridge and Oxford, you know, four other cities that have done, you know, very well in, in economically, but also in the property market over the last 30 years or so. So, so what you'd expect, economically successful areas over the last 30 years, seeing council tax increases in the reverse and the less successful areas. Exactly, yes. And then what, what would happen from a bigger reform uh, depends on kind of how radical you'd want, to, you'd want to make the reform. If you were to not only just revalue council tax, you'd make it more proportional, you would see much bigger changes in bills across the country. So, for example, bills in the, in the north of England would fall by more than 20% right across the region, and in certain areas, closer to 50-60%. So places like Blackpool, uh, Hull and Stoke. Uh, across London and the southeast, actually some poorer areas of the southeast could still gain from a proportional council tax. Towns like Crawley, Stevenage, Harlow, uh, Luton. But you would see some, some, some very substantial tax rises in the most expensive parts of the country. So for example, Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea could see uh, council tax bills rise in the long run around fourfold if you were to have a, a proportional council tax based on up-to-date values. But that's in the context, actually, where council tax bills in Westminster are actually some of the lowest in the country at the moment, despite having the, the highest, uh, you know, or the second highest property values. Yeah, I mean, that's an extraordinary fact, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, I mean there, are, there are bits of London, this isn't true of all of London, but some of the wealthiest bits, including Westminster, 
have, you know, even though they've got the most expensive properties in the country, have lower than average council tax rates, whereas there are some uh, council tax bills, where there are some parts of the poorer parts of the north which have higher than average council tax bills. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Now, some of that will reflect different decisions at a local level, because, of course, there are two things that affect the council tax bills. There's the sort of the bans and the kind of tax rates applied to the bans. That's determined by central government. And that's really, you know, the issue we're trying to tackle here, the out-to-date values and the sort of aggressive structure. But there then is local decision-making on what level of tax to set. And places like Westminster, part of the reason they have low tax bills is because the council there has decided to, to set relatively low council tax. There's, there's debates about why they can afford or how they can afford to do that. Um, but it, it is a local choice nonetheless. But part of it is the fact that even if they set the same council tax rates as somewhere like Carlisle, the average tax bill would only be, you know, 30, 40 percent higher, despite the fact that property prices are probably four or five, four or five times higher. I mean, I, 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 I'm rather like John, I suspect. I'm old enough to remember the sort of um, you know, what happened in Westminster and Wandsworth back in the early 1990s when, uh, or indeed the late 80s when poll tax was introduced. I mean, these were conservative uh, flagship councils, which um, I think it's fair to say got quite a lot of additional money from central government to ensure that their tax bills stayed low. And there's obviously a kind of impact of history uh, through all of this, but perhaps we shouldn't get into the details of the politics of the 1980s. Um, John, I, I, again, this is pretty um, pretty persuasive stuff, and I think it is. I think it's genuinely shocking, actually, that we have this world in which um, you know some of the inhabitants of some of the most expensive properties in some of the most wealthy parts of the country are paying uh, less in council tax than some hugely poorer. Uh, of much less valuable properties in other parts of the country. But you, you, you've already sort of alluded to um, the sort of political change that's going on. You are one of a, you know, as it were, a new cohort of Northern Conservative MPs. But, but how, how are you going to persuade your Southern counterparts? Because the, you, you're now a sort of a, a party covering very, very different sorts of constituencies. And whilst you know, some of these changes would help your constituents, um, they wouldn't help the constituents of some of uh, your colleagues with with wealthier and leafier constituencies. Well, there's a number of points there. First of all, you've got to decide, are you a reforming uh, party of government in terms of tax? As I've already alluded to, I'm a great fan of Nigel Lawson. I think he was a great reformer of tax. And sadly, since then, subs- uh, subsequent chancellors have been reluctant to look at reforming the tax system. And I think there's potential benefits. And it'll be interesting to see which direction our present Chancellor goes in in due course, because he's getting plenty of uh, information about proposals that people would like to see in terms of reforming tax. On the specifics of the council tax, one of the beauties, if you have, say, a 0.4 or 0.5% tax rate, everybody in any part of the country knows what local council tax rate they will pay in terms of the percentage Obviously, it'll be dictated by the price or the cost of the house. But that will be an individual choice as to which house they purchase and at what price they they purchase that property at. And they will then be able to make a very simple calculation as to what their council tax uh, bill will be. The problem, 
consequence which you're alluding to is at this moment in time we have in my view a dysfunctional council tax system that needs reform but once you start reforming things you then have the problem of winners and losers winners will pocket it and go thank you very much and keep very quiet while those who are significant losers will invariably shout from the rooftop saying this is grossly unfair but we do accept the principle of proportional tax system you know income tax rises according to your income you pay a higher rate and i don't think people would object to the principle but it's how we transition from where we are now to a new regime and that's clearly where i think the policy makers would have an opportunity to introduce a transitional regime gradually move towards that new system it would take time people will get become familiar with it and gradually accept it and i think that's the key to doing it is how you transition from the present system to the new system and ensure that people are taken with you so yes um well some people will realize in due course they will be paying substantially more but they can at least prepare for that and understand the reasons why that increase is coming and i'm sure that's a vital part of what one would need to do um that nobody i think would uh, be terribly happy about council tax bills quadrupling overnight but if you did this over quite a long period so it's a gradual change it may be more manageable and one thing that's interesting about what you said, John, is, the, is, is is you think there should be the same percentage tax right across England. Um, and that effectively means taking control of local tax rates away from local authorities. Now, I appreciate they don't have an enormous amount of control at the moment, but, but they, there is scope for local electors to um, you know, kick out or bring in the councils according to, at least in part, what tax rates they're charging. Is, is, are you concerned about having something which is nationally set when one is hopefully looking for a bit more of devolution of power more generally? You introduce a very interesting debate because I'm a big devolutionist. I firmly believe that we should be devolving power to our cities, regions, etc. Um, but what I'm proposing here is almost taking a, a central approach, which is contradictory in many respects. But I think we have to accept that if we are to bring in a degree of fairness across the system, there are times when you have to introduce a national imposed system. I do also think as time progresses, you might have a basic rate of, say, 0.4%, and then a, a discretionary element, so it's up to individual local authorities, which is, have a, a slightly higher rate, say 0.5%, or something along those lines. But I think the devolution debate is almost separate from this, because I think there are wider issues on the devolution debate, it's also about powers, it's about responsibility, it's about electing mayors, and also it is also about tax reform, but maybe looking at other ways that local authorities can have the ability to raise taxes at a local level. From the council tax perspective, I think the population of Carlisle, London and other parts of the country would much prefer a much more stable regime one that is clearly understandable and simple. So if I move to Newcastle or I move to Manchester, I know what rate I will be paying at the council tax level. It's up to me what sort of house I purchase or acquire. And I think that would bring a huge amount of clarity to the system. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. There's a real, um, I mean, there's a genuine um, tension here, isn't there, between the, 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 the local control and um, national fairness, one that the government's in, in other areas have been wrestling with for, for generations and it's interesting that you suggest maybe bringing in other local taxes to, to, to make up for that but 
let, let, let's focus, interesting though, it will be, be to get into local tax devolution more generally. Um, let's keep, keep our focus on housing, though. I mean, another part of what I think you've been proposing, John, is actually getting away from our current system of stamp duty at the same time as reforming council tax. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's part of the overall package that is being proposed. So you reform council tax, but you also take the opportunity to effectively abolish stamp duty at the same time. Now, this, interestingly enough, would have a disproportionate benefit for people buying properties in the south of the country, because where obviously house prices are much higher, and therefore they're paying a higher rate of stamp duty. But if you eliminate stamp duty, I think you will improve the efficiency of the housing market. And you particularly help first-time buyers and those who are moving up the property ladder. Can you imagine buying a property, you've saved up your deposit, you've managed to get your mortgage, but yet on top of that, you've got to pay a substantial amount of stamp duty, money which quite clearly would be very useful in doing up the property, buying furniture, starting out in your new house or your the house that you've, you know, you've upgraded to. So I think there'd be efficiency benefits from eliminating stamp duty. I think it would help the housing market very significantly. But also people would recognise that that's linked in with reform of council tax. So yes, you make a saving on stamp duty, but if you're particularly a southern purchaser or you're buying a higher value property, you accept that you will also be paying a slightly higher rate of council tax. But that is over a number of years. It's much easier to manage while getting lumped with a £10,000 additional stamp duty bill can be a real problem for somebody who is either moving up the housing ladder or trying to get on the housing ladder. I think that's, uh, again, something that um, we would um, have quite a lot of sympathy with. I mean, there is a real issue with stamp duty in terms of um, gumming up uh, the housing market. It's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason why uh, transactions have been at much lower levels in recent years than they were 30 or so years ago when stamp duty rates really started to go up um, and up. But but David, perhaps you could say a, a, a bit more about the sort of economist's point of view, uh, which I think is fairly similar, but not quite the same as what John was saying, uh, as to why stamp duty is such a bad tax, actually, and what the case is for reducing and eventually abolishing it is. So yes, I would very much agree with with John that, that stamp duty is, a, is an inefficient tax. It's, it's one of the sort of most damaging taxes, if you like, you're, you're taxing uh, transactions, mutually beneficial trades, if you like, between someone who owns the property and someone who actually values that property more. And that could be for several reasons. It could be because someone's looking to trade up and someone's looking to trade down. It could be because someone wants to access a new job to be closer to their family, um, you know, for, for many reasons. So, so effectively, you know, having, having a tax on property transactions basically means that properties end up being lived in by people that don't value them the most um, because of the tax system. And because actually quite a lot of economic activity is associated with the property market, just think about sort of the, you know, the redecoration and the extensions and, and the new furniture and things, it probably has quite a big effect on overall consumer spending, uh, the fact that stamp duty is there and is, is gumming up the housing market, as you say, Paul. Now, I think kind of one of the key things that makes it very interesting to consider these two reforms together is sort of what I think John was kind of saying. If you just look at abolishing stamp duty on its own, well, actually, stamp duty is a very, very progressive tax. You know, there's much higher rates on high value properties. 
So abolishing stamp duty on its own would mean a regressive tax cut. The rich would you know, gain far, far more than, than lower income households. Doing stamp duty reform on its own is the opposite. It's a very, very progressive reform, but would see some really big losses in, in people living in, in Westminster, Kensington and Chelsea and so on. You do these together, you actually even out some of those, some of those differences, which mean that whilst households in the south of England may be losing out on council tax, they, they gain in terms of you know, the, the, the change in stamp duty and the impact that will have on their property values. And, and conversely, in the north, they'll still gain from the ta- council tax cut, but they're not gaining as much from the, the abolition of stamp duty. So I think kind of packaging these two reforms together could be not only kind of politically savvy, but also, you know, might might sort of uh, allow you to kind of make the changes without having such big effects on, on, on the distribution of the tax burden, if that's not what you're looking to do. The difficulty, of course, is that council tax comes around every year and stamp duty only when, you, um, only when you're moving house. Uh, so there'll be some... Uh, early big winners, but still quite a lot of early losers. And that, that, that's just inevitable with this kind of um, approach. So, so, so John was earlier saying that, that this would help people buying um, properties. I, 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 th- I, think, I think our view might be more that this has an impact on the value of the property and therefore it has an impact on the seller at least as much as on the buyer. Yes. So, yes, you're right about that point. So, the evidence from sort of economic studies is that property taxes, whether that's council tax or whether it's stamp duty, the economic incidence of that, who actually bears the, the, the tax, is less so the person who's living in the property and paying council tax or the person buying the property and paying the stamp duty. But that what happens is, is that property prices and property rents adjust to effectively build in the impact of this tax. So what you'd expect effectively is that if you were to uh, abolish stamp duty, you'd expect that the prices of properties on which stamp duty is particularly high would, 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 would rise the most uh, from that, and existing owners would capture a lot of the, the benefits uh, from the abolition of stamp duty. But it's not the entire story, of course. Um, you know, markets are set based on equilibriums, right? So if you are a buyer who's going to be kind of transacting a lot in the market, you can still you can still gain from this because you know you're you're kind of involved in the transactions a lot. The the sort of market equilibrates based on kind of average demand and supply in the market. If you're someone who's kind of transacting a lot, you can you can still end up gaining if you're a buyer. Can I can I challenge you slightly on that, David? I accept that you know that's an very much an economics analysis of this. But there are certain other advantages. For example, a buyer, if they can incorporate the additional price that they may have to pay because stamp duty has been abolished, but that would be part of their mortgage offer, which makes it slightly easier for them to finance the whole deal. Well, at present, they're having to find the stamp duty as a lump sum, which makes it very challenging for them. And I also think you're quite right, there would be an equilibrium in the market in time. But also, interestingly enough, if you have a fixed council tax rate of whatever it is, 0.4%, say, there is something about the buyer looking at the price and thinking, if I'm paying an extra £10,000 for my property, I'm going to end up having to pay, on a recurring basis, an extra 0.4% on that 10000 So, therefore, I'm more likely to try and hold for a, a better deal. And you may actually find that house prices 
and do not rise quite as rapidly as they have been. Because at the end of the day, and this is the slight frustration I sometimes feel, is a, a house is about some a home, it's somewhere you where you live. We've become very accustomed to seeing it almost as purely an investment, and I'm not convinced that's the right approach to housing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think you're right. You know, um, one of the issues with stamp duty is because it's kind of a an upfront cost you have to pay. It kind of people run into kind of credit constraints. You can kind of borrow to kind of purchase the house. It's more difficult to borrow to kind of pay the stamp duty, and it actually kind of makes it easier to sort of access the housing market uh, in, in that sense. So you would expect that to have an additional effect on sort of, you know, affordability of housing. Um, but then that might actually then feed back through into property prices to at least some extent as well. But it's interesting, um, isn't it, that one of the, um, you know, the, the market's changed over the last two or three decades in that one of the biggest barriers now to getting on the housing market is having enough of a deposit because interest rates are so low, whereas 20 or 30 years ago, is often having enough of a, an income to cover the interest. And when the stamp duty is added to the deposit, that may be a bigger bigger issue for buyers now than was the case um, in, in the past. Yes, I think that's true. I mean, kind of one of the kind of things we've seen kind of certainly post-credit crisis in the late 2000s is that interest rates really, really are now low. But the, the deposit requirements of, of you know, they, they shot up. And they've come down yeah. somewhat, but they're substantially higher than they were back in the kind of 2000s. And, and the stamp duty certainly makes that worse. I'm, sh- I'm sure Paul remembers 15.4% uh, interest rates, which is, when you think about it now, is just extraordinary. I know. Um, we're treating David like a young man here. He just... <laughs> <laughs> That's too old fogies you can remember. <laughs> yeah, but you've seen the cycles, you've seen the problems, you've seen the issues. <laughs> Um, We're running out of time. Can I just come to you, uh, John, with one last question? I mean, this has been absolutely fantastic and interesting um, conversation. And, and you know, it's brilliant in a way that we've been in such um, violent agreement. Um, But um, I suppose that, that, you know, it it raises an issue for us about the the work that we do, where we're, 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 you know, broadly, I think it's fair to say, in in alignment with you on 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 council tax and and stamp duty, but nothing much is happening. Um, and you know, we do lots of work on VAT and income tax, national insurance. We've got lots of proposals for changing tax, where we're pretty confident that we've got proposals that would improve, you know, the working of the tax system and would be more equitable and more efficient, and so on. But we occasionally get a little bit frustrated that this is not necessarily um, something that chancellors respond to. But do you have any thoughts about how you know people like us, you know, the sort of the, the, the researchers, the nerds, the sort of technocrats, can have more influence on um, you know, if, if, if not you, where we say we seem to be agreeing on a lot of things, but on your colleagues and in particular, actually on 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 what actually happens in budgets. Well, if I were to say I, to a certain extent, share some of your frustrations, <laughs> uh, because I'm a firm believer that actually our tax uh, regime that we presently have is in serious need of reform. And it's not just council tax, it's several other taxes, I think, are a fundamental overhaul is required. And it's not about raising tax or lowering tax, it's just creating a fairer tax system, a more efficient tax system, and a better structured tax system. And that's what I see. And that... Uh, the reality is it needs a reforming chancellor. That, that I think, is a simple reality. We're in the fortunate position. We have a government with a substantial majority. 
So I think there is the potential there for change. I don't know whether our present chancellor is a reformer or is a continuing the, the his predecessors and just tinkering. So it'll be interesting to see what he does uh, decide to do. From your perspective, the interesting thing I would say in, in my time in politics is you have lots of people presenting arguments about topics and nothing ever seems to happen. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, there is a change. And the, the example I would give is mayors in the Northern Powerhouse. A lot, I was a big, I still am, big supporter of mayors. And there was a lot of talk about it, but nobody did anything about it. But there was a lot of think tanks commented, um, uh, some politicians were persuaded, etc. Then all of a sudden, George Osborne came down on the, the concept of mayors. And now you have seen several mayors being created, and there's a, a, to a certain extent, a momentum for more. And I just, the, my advice to yourselves would therefore be keep plugging away, and you'll be surprised when the break comes. And it'll probably come at an unexpected moment and from a surprising direction. And that's what I would say, because in my experience, you can plug away and then all of a sudden something happens. Do you feel encouraged by that, David? Yes and no. Uh, I mean, I think kind of I'm encouraged by the fact that, you know, as John says, you know, it does seem sometimes that kind of a, a case is, 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 is a cause is hopeless. And then and, sen- and then suddenly you, you, you do get traction and things move quite quickly. Um, no, because. As, as John says, we're in, in a situation where we have a government with a, a substantial majority with an agenda which actually lines up pretty well with council tax reform on, on kind of levelling up and a, a political alignment with the incentives. But yet some of the sort of correspondence I've seen, you know, from the Treasury uh, about council tax reform has been, has been downright depressing, uh, to be frank. <laughs> um, my, my great hopes at the moment for council tax reform are actually looking uh, to the west and to the north. So in Wales, the, um, the first minister mentioned, you know, reform of council tax as being a key priority of his in one of his, one of his kind of first speeches. It was on the agenda in the elections with other parties. So I think there's kind of cross-party support uh, in, in Wales. Uh, also, Scotland... Um, the Greens sort of, you know, providing support to the SNP and the Greens are very uh, in favour of reforming council tax and, and local taxation. So I think you might see kind of reform happen uh, in Scotland and Wales before England potentially. But we have seen in, 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 in taxes sometimes that when reforms take place in, in the devolved countries, it can catalyse change in England. So we saw that with stamp duty land tax when they changed that in Scotland and it was seen to be clearly, you know, a, a fair, more efficient system that did catalyse change in England. On the other hand, it can also go the opposite direction. They, they revalued council tax in Wales in the, in the mid-2000s, and it was seen as being, and I think somewhat unfairly, but it was seen as being somewhat botched. Uh, and that, I think, kind of put, you know, it scared the horses and, and Labour backed away from the valuation in England at that point. So I think what we need to be doing is making sure they get it right in Wales and Scotland. And then, yeah. and then England is more likely to follow. But, 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 you, but you can see pressure build at times. And, you know, pressure builds and builds and builds, and then all of a sudden there can be quite radical change. So, you know, I'm ever the optimist um, that, you know, I you foresee it. You never know. Unexpected promotions, people come through the ranks who have a reforming zeal, and suddenly you've got change. Well, let's uh, let, let's leave it there on that on, on that hopeful note. I don't know, John, whether you're someone who's going to come through the ranks and become this reforming <laughs> minister, but um, uh, that that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you, John, um, and uh, and thank you, David. And uh, yeah, hopefully, John's optimism will be rewarded. Uh, hopefully, we will 
Um, you know, we'll look to the Welsh and we'll look to the Scots and maybe we'll follow them if they make a uh, change in this direction. That is all we have time for this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, do subscribe uh, and rate us. For all our latest work, please visit www.ifs.org.uk. And to further support our work, do consider becoming a supporter of the IFS uh, for just £5 a month. You can find a link with further information in the episode description. Thank you for listening and stay well.